the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The U.S. economy. This is SRN News. W262CP, Bayonet Point. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. If you want victory over a, a giant sin in your life or some giant problem, then you have to see that the real issue is God's honor. It's not your convenience. It's a world of difference. It's not your convenience. It's not that you just need to overcome a habit or a sin because it's getting in the way of your job. Your spouse is saying this is affecting your home life or you got a, a bad habit that's bothering you or, or life would just be a little bit easier. The real issue is why do you want, and this is the real question, why do you want to slay a giant in the first place? Is it because you're, it's a bad habit that might affect your health? I think there's a consideration for that. I think all these things are a consideration. But the real issue here is triumphant faith is motivated by a desire to honor the Lord. In the world of make-believe, young boys run around with imaginary swords slaying invisible monsters or giants. The world of make-believe is an interesting one for a child. Unfortunately, as children grow up, they find that in the real world there are monsters and giants seeking to hurt, destroy, or take that which is not theirs. In the make-believe stories, there always was a hero, a rescuer, a champion, one who would defy all the odds, risk his own life, and conquer the opposing force. Back to the real world, our Redeemer, our champion, is Jesus Christ. He is the one that when our enemies get too large and our battles get too big, Jesus Christ comes to deliver us. He is also there for the little skirmishes as well. Thank you for tuning in today. This is Peter Silseth, and I'm delighted to have you with us today for another verse-by-verse study of God's Word. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is our teacher. He has been teaching for more than 27 years at Lakeside, and now he is here on the radio to help us learn more about being a man or woman after God's own heart and how to apply those truths to our lives. Pastor Steve is doing an in-depth study of the life of David. He is teaching the favorite part of most boys and girls. That is the story we remember most when we were young. A boy named David versus a giant named Goliath. The question is not about the giant, but why do we want the giant destroyed? Is it for convenience sake or is it a real issue? It is not the issue of brute strength or cunning craftiness. It is depending completely on God to defeat your giant. If so, do you have the faith to slay the giant? David had to trust the Lord before he ever went to do battle with the giant. His confidence was in the Lord, not his sling. In order for us to slay giants today, we have to have the faith to believe that whatever the giant is in our life, it can be destroyed by God. 
God wants to see our faith before He shows us His might. Now, here is Pastor Steve with today's lesson. Now, that sounds good at first, except Goliath is a giant. And Israel doesn't have anybody his size. In fact, uh, we named, uh, we mentioned in the text a lot of figures, shekels and, and all this. And let me just tell you the size of some of this with cubits. Goliath is about nine and a half feet tall. That's, that's how big he is. He is enormous. And it's very interesting. I'd like you uh, to, to at least listen to this if you can't follow it. In Numbers chapter 13, this is just by way of background. In Numbers chapter 13, Moses sends out some spies into the land of Canaan, into Israel, when Israel then. But uh, Numbers 13, verse 32, these spies go out, and here's what they say when they, when they uh, have come back. So they, they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the lands, which they had spied out, saying, the lands through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, that's the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. They're saying those people are big, they're huge, and there's a special group, the sons of uh, Anak, who are bigger than anybody. Now, 45 years later, at the time of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 11, verse 21 We read this, then Joshua came at that time. Now they're in the lands. Now they're they're in the lands and they're making conquest. It says in verse 21, then Joshua came at that time and cut off the uh, uh, Anakim from the hill country. Those would be the sons of Anak from uh, Hebron, from Debir, from Anab and from all the hill country in Judah and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. There was no Anakim left. In the lands of the sons of Israel only, watch this, here are exceptions, in Gaza, you've heard of the Gaza Strip, this is the town of Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod, some remains. Now, years later, Goliath is one of those descendants of those who remains. He's from the town of Gath, and he is a giant. So there was a people who uh, genetically produced men, and I assume women, who were extremely, extremely tall. And he is really big. He's nine and a half feet tall. But that's not all. His armor and his weapons were incredible. His armor weighed, get this, about 125 pounds. Now, some of us can't lift 125 pounds. But this man has armor like that. He has a bronze javelin and a long spear with a 15-pound iron tip. I mean, this guy is huge. He's big. And uh, according to verse 16, what we just uh, uh, we read of chapter 17, but verse 16 says the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand every day for 40 days, two times a day in the morning and in the evening. Goliath shouted his challenge uh, to the Israelites to find one who could fight him, find one who could fight him. So that's Goliath. Now, the second principal character found in the story is Saul king of Israel at the time, in verse 11, we read this. When Saul and all Israel heard uh, these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Saul was the logical choice to fight Goliath. You know why? Because one of the reasons he was chosen by the people is that he was taller than anybody else. 
So, you know, if you're going to if you're going to shove the tallest guy out to fight their tallest guy, take Saul. But he's not going to do it. He's intimidated like everybody else. He's paralyzed by fear. And by this time, you should know uh, Saul is nowhere spiritually. His true character has come out. He's nowhere spiritually. In fact, it says in chapter 16, verse 14, that right after David was anointed, it says, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. You need never fear that the spirit of God will depart from you because in the New Testament, we're taught in this day and age, the spirit of God doesn't just come upon us for power. The spirit of God indwells us permanently. But back in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament days, the spirit of God had a different type of ministry. The spirit of God would come upon a person for service and power, and he could very easily depart when there was sin. When he was grieved. And in this case, it says that the spirit of God departed from Saul and an evil spirit came upon him. I take it, though there's debate exactly what this means. I take it that he was uh, uh, oppressed by a demon. That, that's what it seems to me. In any case, this man now has fits of, uh, of depression. He now is terrorized by this demon from time to time. So that's, that's all. He's nowhere spiritually. He's paralyzed. He's afraid. He didn't know what to do. He's not going to fight Goliath. It'd be suicide. So we're introduced now to the third main character, and that's David. Verse 12 through 15. Now, David was the son of an Ephratite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. That is, Jesse had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. And the three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, the second to him was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. And David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. Now what does this mean? What verse 15 is referring to, that he goes back and forth from Saul to take care of Jesse's flock, is this. We didn't cover it last week, and and we're not really going into it much this week, except that David, uh, by this time, has become Saul's uh, musician, his chief musician. Saul, uh, it was suggested to Saul that when he was terrorized by this demon, that he get somebody who could play on the harp and come in and play soothing music, and it would help him. And so someone recommended David... And David becomes Saul's harpist. So whenever Saul would have a fit of depression, he would call upon David to come from from Bethlehem and to uh, play the harp. And then when he was better, he would send them back to Jesse to take care of the sheep. And that's what this is talking about. But according to verse 15, uh, David's time not only is divided, uh, but now something else is, is going to happen because it's during one of these times that he's at home that something takes place that allows him to, to hear Goliath's challenge. He wouldn't know about this, being home in, in Bethlehem. So we read verses 17 and following. Then Jesse said to David, his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves and run to the camp to your brothers and bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. For Saul and, and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elam fighting with the Philistines. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. And Israel uh, and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper. He ran to the battle line, entered in, uh, in order to greet his brothers, and he was taking with them, talking with them rather, uh, as he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine, 
from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines and he spoke these same words and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, that is Goliath, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel and it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Now, David was only sent to deliver food to his three brothers and to, to their commander, take care of, of him. But he found himself, when he, got to, when he got there, he found himself in the middle of a war. And he runs to the front lines, and he's talking to his brothers, and, and he hears from, from others what's going on. The soldiers see, and they hear Goliath's challenge, and they're afraid. And so they tell David what's going on. They're paralyzed. It's been about a month now. And they're still paralyzed. Nothing's changed. Nobody's volunteering to fight Goliath. Uh, Even though there are now several incentives that the king is offering for anybody to fight Goliath. Sounds like he's getting desperate. Incentive number one, I'll give you great riches. Incentive number two, I'll give you my daughter as wife. I mean, you'll be son-in-law to the king. And number three, uh, when he says, I'll make your family free in Israel, means no more taxes for life. It's a great deal. Problem is, nobody thought they would beat Goliath, and this doesn't help you if you're dead. Now, with all all of this, this is simply preparatory, and it's an introduction to David's uh, triumphant faith in dealing with this giant. David makes a statement now in verse 26, having gathered the information, he makes a statement in verse 26 that reveals uh, a tremendous truth about triumphant faith and how to slay a giant and your giants. He says in verse 26, And I'll read verse 27 too. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in accord with this word saying, thus it will be done for the man who kills him. David is absolutely indignant, indignant that anyone should have the nerve to defy Israel and the Lord God who's in charge of Israel. That God's name would be defamed in any way by Goliath. Now, let, let me show you what I, what I mean here. Because what the soldiers say and what David say, says are two different things. David saw things that the soldiers did not see. There's a great contrast. Notice that the soldiers referred to Goliath as this man. That's what they say. This man. David doesn't see him as this man. In David's eyes, David calls him this uncircumcised Philistine. It's a difference. The soldiers say that Goliath is, and I quote, coming up to defy Israel. That's not how David sees it. David says that he's taunting the armies of the living God. The soldiers refer to Goliath his potential victor, the Israelite who would kill him, as the man who kills him. But David refers to him, and I quote, as the one who takes away the reproach from Israel. It's a world of difference. You see where David's coming from and the principle that we're to get hold of if we understand triumphant faith? It's this. David sees God in all of this, how God was affected by this. David sees that. The soldiers don't really have a clue. To the soldiers, this is just another battle. To David, this is spiritual warfare. 
God is being dishonored. Notice, we'll jump down to verse 46 when, when David actually confronts Goliath. This is what he says. This is David's heart. To, to David, this wasn't just a battle. God's honor is at stake. He says this, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down. I'll remove your head from you. I'll give you the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines uh, this day. Uh, to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that in all the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. To David, this was a real spiritual issue. And here's the principle. Triumphant faith is motivated by a desire to honor the Lord, period. That's the motivation. David was incensed that some heathen guy would dare to express such disrespect for the Lord, the one true living God. He was angry. This is what we call righteous indignation. How dare this uncircumcised Philistine talk of God this way? How dare he do that? You see, if you want victory over a a, a giant sin in your life or some giant problem, then you have to see that the real issue is God's honor. It's not your convenience. It's a world of difference. It's not your convenience. It's not that you just need to overcome a habit or a sin because it's getting in the way of your job. Uh, your spouse is, is uh, saying this is affecting your home life or you got a, a bad habit that's bothering you or, or life would just be a little bit easier. The real issue is why do you want, and this is the real question, why do you want to slay a giant in the first place? Is it because you're, it's a bad habit that might affect your health? I think there's a consideration for that. I think all these things are a consideration. But the real issue here is triumphant faith is motivated by a desire to honor the Lord. It isn't to make your life better, although it may do that. But the issue is this, because as a Christian, the question is, does this bring glory to God? You ought to want to get rid of a a besetting sin or habit because it's not honoring to the Lord. That ought to be the motivation. And what is the glory of God? The glory of God is the sum total of who he is. It's not displaying God. God's been dishonored. People are not seeing God through me like they should. See, the issue is one of heart motivation, a heart for God's glory. That's why God has always said that David was a man after his own heart. God says, I'll not share my glory with another. God is primarily interested in glorifying himself because he's the only one worthy of that. David comes along and said, Lord, I'm, I'm like you. I want your glory too. And that's what this is about. So the question is, how do you cultivate this type of inner motivation that, that uh, passionately is concerned about God's honor? I thought about that this week. Where did this come from in David? He wasn't born like this. Nobody's born like this. We're born hating God. We're at enmity with God. Romans chapter 8 tells us that. David says, in sin I was conceived. Where then did this come along? You know what, you know what uh, the truth is here? As, we, as I thought about David's life, where did he cultivate it? He didn't go to Bible college. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't learn this from his father. He certainly didn't learn it from his older brother or any of his brothers. David meditated on the awesomeness of God's character. It has to be that. While out with the sheep, David is meditating on how awesome the character of God is. He's not watching television. He's not listening to the radio. I don't know if he was reading other books or scrolls. He's meditating on God's greatness. In fact, if you just for example, Psalm 8. 
This is from the heart of David. Inspired, but from the heart of David. Psalm 8, just listen to this, verses 1 through 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth, who has displayed thy splendor above the heavens from the mouths of infants and nursing babes. Thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man? that thou just uh, take thought of him, and the son of man, that thou just care for him. Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God. Thou dost crown him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Do you see the heart of David? God, you're incredible. You're wonderful. You made all things and you made man. And how dare puny man shake his fist at you and the uh, armies of the living God. I can't stand that, that what this Goliath is saying about you. It's disrespectful. It's disgraceful. I mean, that's David's heart. You see, out in solitude, God became as real to David as Goliath was to those soldiers. David had a reality of God because he chose to meditate on the truths of God until they became part of his, his being. F.B. Mayer, in his uh, very fine book about David, writes this. There is no shortcut to the life of faith, which is the all-vital condition of a holy and victorious life. We must have periods of lonely meditation and fellowship with God that our souls should have their mountains of fellowship, their valleys of quiet rest beneath the shadow of a great rock, their nights beneath the stars when darkness has veiled the material and silenced the stir of human life and has opened the view of the infinite and eternal is as indispensable as that our bodies should have food. Thus alone can the sense of God's presence become the fixed possession of the soul, enabling it to say repeatedly with the psalmist, thou art near, O God. What he's saying is you need time with God. You need time alone with God. You need to meditate on how great the Lord is. And you, and you sense God's presence. You sense God's realness because you have spent time with him and you have meditated on how wonderful God is. And so when he's dishonored, you're incensed because he is so real to you. He is so precious to you. So if you have any giants that you're trying to slay, but you can't get any victory, you need to consider this. What's your motivation? Is it to honor Jesus Christ? Is it to bring him glory or is it to escape a problem? Is it to make life easier for you? Is it to save some money? Is it a health issue so that you'll feel better? All these things may enter into it, but that should not be the final and most important motivation. The motivation is, is God honored by this? Jesus said in John 14, if you ask anything in my name, I'll answer it. The Father is glorified. I'm paraphrasing that. What is it to ask in Christ's name? It's praying with the right motives. It's praying, uh, uh, in essence, what Jesus would ask for. It's praying with the same heart attitude of Christ. You are coming in his name. It, is not, it does not mean at the end of a prayer you say, in Jesus' name, amen. You can say that, but you must be saying it with an attitude of, Lord, I'm asking you 
for something with the same heart motivation that if Jesus were here physically, this is what he would ask for. And so I have confidence you're going to answer me. See, the motive is to bring God glory by the answer. I love this story. David, with God's help, really cut Goliath down to size. Chuck Swindoll refers to Goliath as the dwarf after David got done with him. David, with God's help and power, that is. He cuts off his head and carries it back to Saul. Saul by now has climbed out from under the table where he was hiding, only to have the head of Goliath flopped on that same table. What a great and true story. But lest we miss the point, it is a story about a boy who had great faith in an awesome God who was more than capable to destroy the giant. All believers today can be that same boy and call upon that same God and see their giants fall before their very eyes. Now here's Pastor Steve again with a special message. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff, and it's my hope that you're encouraged in your faith and strengthened spiritually through the teaching you receive on Verse by Verse. Learn more about Verse by Verse and listen online at versebyverseradio.org. Thank you. Until next time, remember God and you always make a majority. Paul told the Roman believers who were under great persecution that in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, Romans 8:37. I want to thank you for listening today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff will conclude this message on David the Giant Slayer next time. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor for more than 27 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.